We gather together this morning to remind one another to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives. To resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we claim for ourselves once more awareness and gratitude, taking the time to look into one another's faces and see their communion, the reflection of our own eyes. This house of laughter and silence, memory and hope, made holy by our presence together. So good morning everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church where this community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. We bid you special welcome this morning if you're a visitor here today, perhaps from other Unitarian groups around the country or even from across the seas. Or perhaps this is the first time you've walked into a Unitarian setting like this. But whoever you are and however you are this morning... There is a space for you here, a chance to rest for a while and to reconnect with yourself, with others and with that which you hold to be of greatest worth. So let's take a moment now to take a conscious breath, to tell ourselves that we are here now. Whatever our journey to get here has been like, However, our last few days have been whatever irritations there are niggling away at us, whatever awaits us in the days ahead. Let's be here now, together, stilling our busy minds and hearts, finding an inner peace that I believe connects us all. We light our chalice as we do each week, our symbol of our worldwide Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist faith. And we light it today, marking the the turning of the seasons and in recognition of the inner light which continues to shine within us even as our days start to shorten. May this flame Ignite in us a glimmer of hope when in despair, a beam of clarity in times of confusion, a light of truth when disillusioned, a sparkle of warmth to spread throughout our community and a glow of light to lead us on our way. I invite you now to bring yourselves into connection with that which you hold as sacred and divine. As we join now in a time of long prayer with spaces for reflection. May stillness and calm fill your being. 
as I call on the divine essence of the universe, source of all love, to be with us now. As we reflect upon the joys and concerns we've heard here this morning, and those unshared about people we know and those that we don't know but have only heard about. Great mystery of life, of which at times we can struggle to make sense of, may we be helped to hold the seeming contradictions of the happy and sad times in a state of balance in our hearts and minds and ultimately in our lives. At this time of the autumn equinox, when the earth is poised in equal measure of daytime and nighttime, may its balance be reflected in us, creating a true sense of equilibrium within. So as we we turn our attention to ourselves now, in seeking a greater sense of knowing and wholeness, I invite you to gently reflect upon your past week. Looking back, become aware of the things that have happened for which you are grateful for and in your own way silently give thanks. Gently remember actions or happenings which have been a cause of sadness or of regret. Maybe finding the need to seek compassion or for forgiveness for ourselves or others. Bring to mind the times when you've used your time and gifts wisely, acknowledging the help or healing you have provided. And now, as we turn our attention to our wider world, let's spend a few moments 
silently directing our loving thoughts and prayers to people, situations or places in our world which are in need of our prayers today. And in this spirit of compassion, let's pray that together we can help create a more equal, just and loving world. Amen. We have a reading now. And it's an extract from an online article called Dimensions of Balance in Spiritual Practice. And it's by a writer and spiritual practice teacher called Joseph Naft. He writes, The many facets of our humanity call for balance. In growing up, we need a balanced education and a balance of discipline and love. For physical health, we need a balanced diet as well as a balance between activity and repose. For mental health, we need a balance between work, leisure and family. So too, we need a holistic approach towards our inner work for spiritual development. As complex beings, with complex demands placed upon us, for most of us, no single method of spiritual practice will prove adequate. An understanding of the variety of methods and their place in the spiritual path serves us well in discovering and filling the gaps in our inner work. Through actual practice, we grow familiar with the relationships amongst the methods and their effect on our being. We acquire a taste for how to balance our inner life. One dimension of balance concerns the three possible contexts of practice, ourselves, our family and society, and the ultimate. If we direct our spiritual life only towards ourselves, we risk growing self-absorbed and losing sight of the greater purpose. If our practice centres solely on serving others, we risk losing ourselves, losing the energy and peace of mind we need to serve well. If our practice focuses exclusively on the divine, we risk losing our footing on this wonderful earth, losing our ability to relate well. All three together, however, forge a remarkably potent combination. In our spiritual droughts, when we lose contact with one 
another will provide a way to reinvigorate the first. Working in all three contexts, we discover a sense of completeness and integrity. The following is an African fable which you may have heard before, but it starts out in a traditional way. Once upon a time, the various parts of the body began complaining against the stomach. Look at me, says the hand. I till the soil, I plant the seeds, I harvest the crops, I prepare the food. All the stomach ever does is lie there waiting to be fed. Ah, it's unfair. Well, the feet agreed too. Yeah, me too. I carry the heavy stomach all around, all, around all day. I carry him to the farm to get food. I carry him to the river to get water. I even carry him up to the palm tree to get palm wine. And all the stomach ever does is lie there and expect to get his ration of food, water and wine, whatever he needs them. This is, brothers, unfair. Well, the head too complained. Well, I carry around all the heavy load from the farm and from the river, all to feed the stomach, who does absolutely nothing. This is terribly terribly unfair. Well, the parts of the body decided that this injustice had to stop. To force the issue, they decided to embark on a protest action. They agreed to stop working and feeding the lazy stomach until the stomach learned to be a responsible citizen of the body. Well, a whole day went by and the stomach was not given any food or water or wine. All the stomach did was groan from time to time, while the others taunted him. By the second day of starving the stomach, the head said that, I was beginning to feel a bit dizzy. By the third day, the hands reported that they were feeling weak, and the feet were wobbly and couldn't stand straight. Then it dawned on them that, Much as they were visibly supporting the stomach, the stomach was also supporting them in a less obvious but equally important way. It dawned on them that by feeding the stomach, they were feeding themselves without knowing it. So, inspired by London Underground, they called off their strike action (laughs) and went back to work to feed the stomach. Their strength returned, and together with the stomach, they lived happily ever Well, this is just a really short selection of meandering thoughts about harvest time and the autumn equinox and the food that we eat. And the take-home message is one I probably need to hear myself on a daily basis. Just pay attention. Don't take all of this for granted. It'd be interesting to know how many of us have ever grown our own food, be it fennel seeds or something greater than that, is that how many of us have grown our own food? That's quite a lot, really, for central London. Um, Or have we been involved in food production in any way whatsoever? I'm counting washing up in a restaurant in that. Yeah, quite a few of us. Um, Friends of mine worked when they were students at the Bird's Eye Frozen Food Factory back in student days. And and I spent a whole whole week picking oranges one very hot summer in a foreign land. 
before I was moved on, demoted, it is true, to other tasks because I was so very bad at fruit picking. Has anybody picked vegetables and fruit for a living? Can I hear what the fruits and vegetables were because then I can assess how terrible it was? I grapes. Grapes? Pretty bad? Oh, it was hard not to eat Yeah. So very hard work. Any others? I did oranges. We've got grapes. What else? Tur- oh, Michaela. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they were little ones. And potato. Oh, my goodness. Potatoes. Again, quite backbreaking, I think. Anything else to mention, John? Apples. Apples. <laughs> so we've got Bramley apples. We've got strawberries over there. Yeah, my awareness was just how the, the people who are used to picking oranges were just so much better at it than I was. It, it was 40 years ago now that I picked oranges, and that memory haunts me still. And whenever I peel an orange to this day, I actually look at the stalk end. I meant to try and get one to show you. Because I remember then that some poor soul, far more competent than me, has cut that individual orange from a tree, most likely while standing on a ladder and then placed it with many other oranges into a huge sack which gets increasingly heavy, hung around their neck. Producing the food that we eat is really hard work for someone. Just like the parts of the body in the story that we heard earlier on, we do well to remember our reliance on other parts of this human system And we do well to remember our complete reliance on our Earth's ability to grow the food that we need. So we're going to pass some fruit round for you now to try. If if I think we've got we've got grapes and um, tomatoes, but we've also got fruit on the table. If you'd rather have a whole fruit, and I'm going to ask everybody to have a fruit with them. Let us imagine. (laughs) Let us imagine the sunshine and the rain and the earth which have allowed the plant to grow. Somewhere possibly far away, unless you got a tomato in case in which case I think they've come from closer at hand. The tree or the plant that blossomed and was pollinated so that a fruit, this fruit, could grow. We might feel the time that a process like this takes. It's not one that can be rushed. Growing takes time, be we a fruit or a human being. There is no such thing as instant food. And even fast food, as a concept, tries to ignore the meal's slow and steady origins. Food production takes time. We might imagine all the people involved in this process remembering that someone grew the plant and cared for the soil and watered it and pruned it and eventually picked it for us. Somebody packed it. Somebody transported it. Somebody sold it to us. This one fruit 
contains multitudes and holds the sunshine, the rain, the soil, the wind and all the other elements of life remain within it. There are studies that show that people who can delay gratification have far better lives. But let me not be judgmental on ye, any of you who ate your fruit quickly, because there's always more. So help yourselves if you haven't had one already, and if you want the sensible people who kept their fruit, we can know I eat it now. <laughs> There's a lovely piece written by um, meditation. Actually, I don't want not to tell you this. Thich Nhat Hanh, um, lovely piece about meditating on a tangerine with groups of children and getting them to really look into it and seeing the whole universe in that one tangerine. It's a beautiful piece. We'll save that for another time. But we've now got um, a responsive reading. This is by the delightfully named Percival Chubb. And Percival Chubb was the leader of the Humanist Ethical Society in the 19th century. And he dedicated himself to an improvement in life conditions for those whose existence had been blighted by the Industrial Revolution. And one of the things that he did in the Ethical Society was to say that whatever your religious stance, you need festivals in life. And so he wrote some really lovely pieces. So forgive him his 19th century reading, because his heart's definitely in the right place. I mean... Um, who are you? Uh, Janine <laughs> thought we'd share this between us, so this is my side of the room, and we're not going to be at all competitive. It's a harvest of gratitude, responsive reading, and so this side, if you want, we're going to join in in the alternate lines, speaking together. Once more, the fields have ripened to the harvest, and the fruitful earth has fulfilled the promise of spring. The work of birds who labour have been rewarded. They have sown and reaped, planted and gathered. How rich and beautiful is the bounty gathered, the golden grain and clustered corn, the grapes of purple and green, the crimson apples and yellow pears, and all the colours of orchard garden, vineyard and field. Season follows after season, after winter the spring, after summer the harvest laden water. From product to blossom, from flower to fruit, from seed to ripening, the beauty of earth unfolds. From the harvest of the soil, we are given occasion to garner a harvest of the heart and mind. Harvest of resolve to be careful stewards of all life's gifts and opportunities. A harvest of reverence for the wondrous power and life at work in the things that grow and in the soil. A harvest of gratitude for every good we enjoy and a fellowship for all who are sustained by us. Some closing words by Andrew Pakula. 
May you know fully and deeply the blessings of each of your heart's seasons. The inward turning of winter, springtime's lush renewal, the effortless steady growth of summer, and autumn's rich harvest. May your passage from season to season be blessed, eased by hands to hold and the light of love to guide you on. So go in peace and blessed be. Amen.